0: Hi guys, this is John McGann from Max Tennis Academy in Ireland and I'm here with my co-host Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis in Spain Together we've created the podcast Control the Coronables which includes some of the top players from around the world Our objective is very simple We want to be able to educate entertain and energise the tennis community during this very difficult period that we're all going through Hope you enjoy our next podcast
1: welcome to episode 30 of control the controllables we've had a lot of requests to get a touring futures pro who could talk about the realities of of that lower level of tennis you know much has been talked about recently about how money can get spread across across the game, across the men's game, the women's game, but also across the levels. And what we have today, we have Pete Bothwell. Pete was a career high 602 ATP, and is in the last week has made the decision at the the tender age of 24 to retire from professional tennis. Uh, Pete trained at Soto Tennis Academy for the last eight years. He's someone who I'm very close to, uh, I wasn't sure whether the podcast was going to work because we know each other so much. Um, but I have to commend Pete, the, the honest way that he spoke. We did press him a little bit throughout the podcast uh, to really try and get under the bonnet and, and fully understand why decisions have been made, but also the realities of playing on the Futures Tour and the difficulties that comes with that um it's it's pretty raw it's Pete speaks with emotion um he speaks very openly incredibly honestly and and i hope you guys really enjoy uh, the the openness that he that he speaks with there really is some amazing lessons in this podcast um some real lessons you know this is the level that the majority of players that we would work with uh, are really striving towards and and Pete had a fantastically successful career, relatively, uh, within within our sport. And and I think you guys will will love it, whether you're a coach, a player, uh, or or a parent. And and I hope you enjoy the show. Um, With no further ado, over to Pete Bothwell.
0: Peter Bothwell, absolutely fantastic to have you on Control the Controllables. On behalf of myself and Dan, a big, big thank you for coming on to our show today.
2: Cheers guys, great to, great to finally be here. I waited, a, I waited a while, to be fair. Ev got on before me, Ali Collins got on the Insta Live, so that's it. It's taken a while, but I'm here now, so I'm happy to be here.
1: First Big Thank you. First question, Pete, before, before John introduces you, it sounds, it sounds like your ego's been hit by, you know, you've been, you've been waiting in the wings for a while, huh? Eh?
2: Nah, look, it's fine. I've just been waiting patiently there's no, there's no ego being hit here. Look, I'm just, I'm happy to have the opportunity to speak to you guys. That's good to have you, Pete.
0: Pete, just for, for the, the listeners listening in, I'd um, like to give a short profile on yourself. You've had a fabulous career, a career high ranking in singles of 602 ATP in and, and singles and 447 in doubles. You're also a former Irish number one and an Irish Open champion. And um, you've recently decided uh, to retire, and um, tell us about it.
2: Yeah, obviously, uh, about a week ago there decided to to stop playing on tour uh, obviously a really difficult time for everyone right now, and it just kind of came around that I was just reflecting a lot on on my playing career itself and the age I was now, what was happening with the current situation and just really like I'd never just sat down and reflected on what I'd achieved before, what I'd set out to do when I was 15, 16 and just loads of different little things just kind of I just started to have the feeling that that this was the time and that feeling just grew a little bit stronger and and I think I heard a podcast the other day saying like when you feel it's time, when you feel it, like that's it. That's when you know. And and I can't. I just really had that feeling towards the end, and and I decided to, that that was the right decision.
1: And obviously, Pete, is it's 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 potentially a bit of an emotional podcast, actually, because you know, obviously, I've been a, a big part of your of your tennis for the last eight years. You know, have. As, as your coach, you know, and as the director of the academy, you know, you, as a Soto Tennis player, and, and you really have, and I, I'll give you some compliments in the podcast, but I also plan on getting into you a little bit throughout it. Um, you know, you really do live and breathe everything that we've ever wanted at, at Soto Tennis. You've been, you've been the model student. You know, I'm very close to you being a part of <clears throat> pretty much all your decisions, and I think this is, this is one that I felt... You were potentially' I'm in an aura but if i if i 'm brutally honest and I know we 've talked on the phone, but we haven't haven't got into this side, so it is quite raw you know this this podcast it it did come out the blue a little bit for me because i felt I felt that you were starting to turn a few things around you know you did go through you know some difficulties at the end of last year start of this year. You know, and it felt, you know, you got not the mental coach on board. You know, you were starting to really get your head in order. Um, is this something that you have been thinking about for a while?
2: Yeah, like, I think you make a couple of good points there. Obviously, last year, I went on a really bad run of, I think, 15 losses in a row. You know, I'd never witnessed or done anything like that before. And I, I think I did turn things around. Like you said, got a got a life coach on board learned a lot more mentally about the game. And I think I left, I was playing really good tennis actually before, before the break. But it just came with the fact like, I think that gave me a lot of pride that I turned that around in that situation and learned a lot about myself and a lot about my tennis in that situation. And, and then just still speaking to the guy once a week and just on, on reflection, I just kind of just took the situation where it was now and how I felt. And, you know, when I look back, what I wanted to achieve. I definitely feel like I overachieved, you know, in a, in a way, cause I didn't necessarily know professional tennis that well, you know, all I saw when I was a kid was Davis cup. Yep. So my, my goals basically in juniors was I wanted to play Davis cup. I didn't really know much about pro life and on and, and, and tour life, you know, no one from Northern Ireland had ever played on tour before. I was the first guy ever to get an ATB ranking. So I, I find it difficult, I think, looking at it that I had no one really that close to me or no one to follow or that, that kind of guide in a, in a way when I was younger to, to have maybe higher higher goals. So I think if I had someone like that growing up that was a little closer to me, it maybe would have seemed easier to attain those goals as such. So, so that kind of started to play on my mind a little bit now. And I think then also the fact that, you know, coaching comes very naturally to me as well you know I I really do enjoy that side of the game and and to be honest I kind of when I was reflecting even more because I started thinking of what I'd done and and I was happy where I was I kind of feel like that that drive to get back out there kind of started to leave me and and that's what that that's what then was like really tough to try to try find that feeling again that you know I'm fine to go travelling 35 weeks a year, whatever, sleep on a, on a few airport floors. You know, I kind of I lost that, that drive and I think that was, that was probably another big factor in, in the decision.
0: Yeah, and- absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I just think as you're talking and as a fellow Irishman, um, I can relate to you a lot, actually, because it's not easy, actually, coming from Ireland, trying to play a professional tennis piece. And it's a lot different to other uh, you know federations or countries. And what you've achieved, in my eyes, and as a as I say, a fellow Irish man is phenomenal, you know. Um, you know, you, you played Davis Cup, you've you know, an an Irish number one, uh, played on the tour for many, many years. I remember you as a young kid growing up here in Ireland as well, with with Stevie Newge and Mick Nuge and and on being on various junior squads. And like Dan says, I have, to, I have to shadow what Dan just said, an unbelievable ball of energy to be around. And, um, you know, people transcend towards that. I certainly did when I met you first. Um, but it's not easy being on the tour on your own. And um, I suppose, you know, you've been able to sustain that for, for the length of time you have. Has, the, has it been difficult from a finance point of view to stay out there for, the, for such a for, for such a long time, um, has that been something yeah. that may have? Um, yeah, to touch on a
2: few points there. You know, I think it is even more difficult coming from Ireland as well. You know, we've had some good players like Niall and McGee, but you know, I, mean, I barely saw McGee. I saw him once in five or six years. So even that buzz to hit with him, same with Connor, I didn't really see Connor at all. So I wasn't even even able to hit with these guys when I was a junior growing up. You know, hmm. like Sam Barry, I was close with Sam. And he obviously went on to be a very good player. So I just, that, that's difficult. And then, yeah, obviously the financial side coming from Ireland, look, we only had one tournament per year. Uh, we had two, maybe a couple of years ago, two futures. And I know maybe when I was a lot younger, they used to have three or four tournaments and maybe a challenger back in like early 2000s. So I think it definitely got a little bit tougher maybe. And then obviously financially, yeah, look, I, my parents, I'm very grateful for the opportunities that my parents gave me and, and a lot of members in my local club at Downshire and Hillsborough, you know, they provided me with a lot of help. But, you know, obviously just Tennis Ireland can't unfortunately can't can't offer any financial help and that that's just the situation it is. So, but like I don't wanna I, I don't want the reason for me stopping to be a financial reason. You know, if if I still had that drive and hundred percent commitment yeah look maybe i don't play as many tournaments and i go spend a couple of weeks in germany and i play two three months of german league you know or i coach part-time and still play you know so i definitely think there's ways that way i don't want the financial reason to be the main reason yeah. obviously yeah it's, it's difficult but i don't want that to be the main reason i think it's more just that that drive just left
1: me Yeah, it's such good responsibility Pete. i am going to For drive sure. you back in a minute to it, but it's. I am going to pick up on that last point that you've just made because I think for a lot of players listening, and and, and coaches, and um, parents, actually, I think it's very rare that somebody stops playing the sport and just is honest. And and that's that's the one thing that is is really kind of touched me the last, and I, and I expected it from you, Pete. You know the the honesty that you've had all the way through and we've had these conversations a lot, it's because people can't afford it. It's because they've got an injury. It's because they're not supported enough. It's because, you know, because, 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 and I think you, you taking responsibility for that is massive because I'm a big believer that when you make bigger picture decisions, that then actually leads to quite easy decisions on a day-to-day basis. And, and from what I'm hearing about what you're saying, and obviously it's not the first time that I've, I've heard it because of, of the conversations that we continue to have, is you are now at the point where you don't feel you can make the bigger picture decision to to throw your absolute world at being, at being a tennis player. So because of that, you'll then probably start to make the, the, the small day-to-day decisions become harder so whereas was it a difficult decision for you to sleep on the floor at an airport the amount of times that you did it no it wasn't because your purpose was so strong yeah. if, if, that, if that makes sense and, and and again i i have a lot of admiration for you for the fact that you've made that decision the bigger picture decision before you started to stop yeah. taking care of the day-to-day decisions does that make sense
2: yeah, absolutely. I think you touched on it there, like the purpose. You know, if I if I if I'm really honest with myself and, and I spoke to my parents about it, and I said, like, do I feel like I can honestly be out there slogging it out for seven, eight weeks in a row and just doing all, all the tough stuff? Like, let's be honest, like futures life is not is not great. Like it's not pleasant. It is really, really tough and mentally mentally it's tough. So I, I think this period actually could be really good for some players that actually they can reflect on what they're doing and they can come back stronger. Unfortunately for me, I, I didn't find that drive again or I didn't find the want again. But I think having this opportunity will help a lot of players in a way as well. Because, you know, like, it just, it's just week on, week after week. And I think sometimes, and we've talked about it before, like, I've never been good at sharing my thoughts and feelings. You know, it's always, it's always been on myself you know if I have a problem I feel like it's weak going to someone else about it which is good in a way that I want to handle it myself but then also not because that can build up and it has built up over sometimes over the past couple of years but yeah if that if that makes sense
1: yeah absolutely being devil's advocate being devil's advocate I think it is good this time period has been good in in ways of people to reflect but has it also made it easier for people to maybe fall into some decisions as well? And 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 I think that would just be my one little devil's advocate piece on you. You know, yeah. and I think it's going to be really interesting how you feel in six eight months when you do see people out there and yeah. you do see these results coming through, because it's it's a case of yeah, back home. I think all tennis players have enjoyed this period back home. You know, I certainly would have welcomed it when I was a player to kind of have it. And it's been, you know, it's it's nice that first, it's like a honeymoon period back at home. Everyone likes you for a while because you've been <laughs> away for so long. You know, and I think the second thing is then putting a few quid in your pocket. And, and, and all of a sudden you go to the bar and actually, hey, it's my round. You know, there's a bit of a twinkle in the old pocket when you it's not just your keys. You know, there's a few coins mm-hmm twinkling around which which is tennis players it's like I'm not even going to buy a lemonade because that's going to go to towards like that extra night staying away I don't know if you have any thoughts on it now or whether that's something to maybe reflect on over the next six months
2: no I mean like when we spoke just before you you did challenge me on that and and I was very open and I was doing a few hours coaching and getting a bit of cash in and I just said like what a difference it feels like it's like relief kind of you know, you never feel like you have any money because it's always going towards your tennis. Um, look, yeah, I think at the start, when I, when I first came home, I fully, I fully was committed to going back out on tour. You know, and we were doing the online solo tennis work and, and that was great and stuff. But I, and then I just, and that's just when it started to change slightly. And I actually was, I thought about it the other day when Battle of the Brits came on. Now, I know there's a few better players on there, but you know I've seen a few guys in the past before. Good friends with Lloyd and stuff, Peniston. I played Peniston in futures and stuff. So I, w- I was actually thinking about when that came on, what my re- reaction was going to be. You know, if I if I saw those guys playing, you know, was my reaction going to be, oh no, like oh no, what have I done? Yeah. You know, and actually I've been watching quite a few of the matches. And and to be honest, my mindset has just completely shifted. You know, I was watching the tennis, but I was, I kind of felt like I was watching from from a coach's point of view. So I actually didn't feel, which I think was, which was a good, and then it felt good because I felt like, yeah, okay, actually, I feel like I have made the right decision because I was watching what was happening on the court and I didn't necessarily get that buzz because my worry was if I watch it, I'm like, oh no, I've got the buzz to compete. Like I, What's going on? Like I really want to get out there, you know. So that, that that's just kind of what happened, really.
0: Yeah, it's it. I I think the other thing is as well, Pete, and you kind of said it at the beginning when you said it at the start as an Irish tennis player. I know one of the the big things for an Irish tennis player is to play Davis Cup. I think that's like a you know one of our big things. That okay, we're not in America. It's one of those things that uh, are in the UK. And like it's it, it's more touchable that you can. You can almost get there. Do you think that when you when you reach those sort of goals, so, so you became an ATP ranked player, you you know you became a Davis Cup player, you became the number one in Ireland. do you Do you think then, if you had a setback or again, I'm just talking to you openly on this one, but I certainly found when I got on to play Davis Cup and reached them kind of goals that after that, I felt a little bit lost, and I was wondering, like, why am I out here? Why am I playing now? Or whatever I was, 800-something in the world. But um, do you think that was something as well? Um, like, did you have any aspirations to, let's say, play Wimbledon? Or play Grand Slam tennis? Was-
2: yeah, look, like I, look, the one Slam I wanted to play was obviously Wimbledon. I think, look, going back, when I first got on the team, I didn't, I, when I first made the team, what, five or six years ago, I didn't play a match. And I was like, when I went back to base, I was like, "All right, I'm not, I'm not going to get right high, right uh, high enough rank that I'm going to play." You know, and then I played yeah. number two, then I played number one. So I think, you know, and the ranking there, I think at times, like when I got my first point, yeah, I maybe relaxed a little bit and didn't push on because I didn't, I didn't have that confidence in myself, and I think it's always something I look back on, that I needed a bit, be a little bit more selfish. Yeah. I've always been a pretty good team player and loved team aspect and sport and played rugby till I was 17 and everything to that side. But tennis, you need to be a little bit selfish. And at times, I don't think I was, which held me back a little bit. So I think I look back now and think when I first got my point, I didn't push on straight away well enough. When I got to 1,000, which was kind of like another goal, same thing happened. I got comfortable at that and I didn't push on well enough. Same thing happened when I was. I like, changed a little bit when I won the futures and got up to maybe six fifty. Then I got injured, so that that was tough. But kind of same thing happened before that when I got to seven fifty. It was like, yeah, and I just got comfortable at the, at that level where I think sometimes I lacked that drive to yeah. You got that, you hit that goal, but then it's straight on to the next one where, I, and, and that's something I look back on and I'm a bit upset with myself that because I always did. In such a shift, but I felt comfortable at that level where maybe I could have gone up the rankings a little bit higher if I had that drive
1: continuously. Yeah. But. How, how much of that is so? If I think about like a Liam Brody, I think about guys that had a really high junior ranking, yeah, Evan, Evan as well, you know, at the Evan Hoyt at the academy, yeah. it, 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 because they had a high junior ranking. They, they had a real sense of belonging. It always f- feels at the, the tournament and that's, that's one thing I just similar to what I think what you're touching on there, I think you're being a little bit tough on yourself. Peter. I'm yeah. not sure that it was necessarily a relaxation, but I, I never quite felt that you easily got a sense of belonging. You know, you always had to work for every bit of reputation, every bit of feeling comfortable at tournaments. And obviously you did do that and then you, you got to one stage and then it, you kind of got used to that for a bit and then, okay, I'm comfortable and then, and then i go again. How much of, you, of that do you think is down to, let's say, you not necessarily having much of a junior ranking or exposure to that international level?
2: Yeah, I think it's a really good point, to be honest, because, you know, I didn't have that feeling of juniors or playing Grand Slams or having that one or feeling comfortable. I think it's just a really good point you know I got to I don't know 500 in juniors or something playing a few events and never played higher than a grade four so I never I think it's a really good point like I never felt like I probably felt like I belonged at times you know I remember like first going to a couple bigger futures and then just being around the guys and asking guys to hit you know it was quite was quite difficult for me because I wasn't sure if I was good enough you know there was always that doubt and we always talked about it and then When I went to my first couple of challenges, you know, I had the same, I had the same doubts in my mind. You know, was I good enough to be here? Which I think, which I think is difficult.
1: Three of my most emotional moments as a coach
2: have been
1: linked to you, and and again, we've you know yet on a podcast, and you know, but if if people want to hear the the kind of insides and out, I don't know. But the first one was Frinton, and I remember driving about forty four hours across country <laughs> to, to come and watch you play in Frinton um, yeah. and with Jimmy Nelson and you won your first point and ATP point And it was just like, and this is a game for people listening and, and for the, the people listening to the Pete Bothwell story. This was you at 19 years old or whatever it was picking up your first ATP point. I felt like you'd won Wimbledon. <laughs> it, it get, I mean, there was a more, there was a feeling of like, Oh my goodness, what an achievement, you know? And then, Again, this is where I think you've been a bit hard on yourself. The next one was only two and a half years later or so was, and I don't know if you remember it, but again, it was, it often was me driving miles and miles to see you somewhere. And I drove four and a half hours uh, uh, to Almeria to watch you play and you, and you played an unbelievable tennis match to, to win the semifinals to make it to your first Futures final. Yeah. And, I, and I remember walking off with you and genuinely had tears in my eyes of like this is unbelievable you know this little this little lad from northern ireland who you know hit it to his backhand twice and you've kind of won the point (laughs) i mean that's kind of that's kind of how it was is is now in the final event of a futures event and 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 i guess that the raw bit then for me pete is you were someone who got used to a level and 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 I think that the, my one concern is is because I did have absolute belief in you then going to to further levels but I think you're a slow burner and I think a lot of tennis yeah. players are you know and I think it, it taken time and, and I think this is but this is the real issue with our sport is is how does a Pete Bothwell stay in the sport? How does, and I know it's not necessarily about money, but we spoke to Sam Qureshi, and he said he didn't feel comfortable until he was 30 years old. Didn't feel comfortable in his skin, Playing playing international level tournaments until he was thirty years old. It it takes time, it takes, and I think we're we're in a culture in the UK and Ireland where we almost expect it to be happening a little bit too soon. And 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 I guess I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but it's it brings us maybe into it into the bigger point of, you know, what are that what are the realities and the difficulties of someone who who is who is week in week out, day in day out doing what you were doing. And second question, how does tennis fix it? Tough tough question. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, look,
2: like, it, it, it was just a day in, day out attitude. Like I, I wasn't that good. Like in the grand scheme of tennis, I was pretty poor, 17, 18, let's be honest, like, you know? But when I, and I unfortunately didn't end up going to college in America, cause that was, that was gonna be the first goal. And I went out to the academy, you guys were trying to help me go there. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then that didn't happen, you know, and we said, all right, look, let's play for a year, two years, see what happens. And, and then I picked up my point and I, you know, I remember it on the grass, like, well, like what a day But you know, I think, I, I think just hard work is like the most important thing for myself. Like that's what got me to where I was, you know, hard work and just leaving it out there. Every time on the practice court and the match court, and you know, I I look back and I didn't play that many matches in my junior career. So when I first went out to Spain and playing local tournaments on the weekend, matches were tough. Like the level wasn't that high, but I didn't feel comfortable in matches because I I wasn't used to playing them. You know, we used to talk about how good a trainer I used to be because that's what I was comfortable in. You know, I could absolutely rinse it in training for three and a half hours and I go out on the court. And it's just a completely different environment. So it took me a while to feel comfortable in that. And then I got so comfortable in the match environment that I actually then started to not really enjoy training. And I just wanted to compete all the time. So I went for like a full circle, I feel, when I was at the academy. Can I jump in there,
1: Pete? Yeah. If you had gone to college, do you think your journey would have been different? No, I I
2: don't think so. It's, It's tough to know. Like if I went to the right university, and I was I was getting good good individual work with lots of matches. I don't see why not. Like I remember my dad saying to me when I was 18, he was like, Look, you you, you know you're a few years behind. You you've got you've gotta just take the first two or three years as like you're in college. So so there was no pressure from me, from my parents in that, in that situation. You know, my dad just said to me look you're gonna lose a, you're gonna lose a lot of matches and you're gonna to have to learn and that's what i guess my first two or three years on tour i took it kind of like i was at college and, and that was the mindset that i had that i was just learning i just watched i remember traveling you know with yourself josh lloyd you know they were they were a level above me for sure at the start but i used to just practice with them every day i, I was happy to be what was known as like the bitch hit so whatever losing qualities and just get on the practice court as much as I wanted to and just get as many hits as I could in before the next match. You know? And, and I just and, and I just kept working and working and then and, and that's what happened really. I just turned it
1: around. But if you went to college mm-hmm. you would have been twenty two when you came out of college. You're only twenty four now. And yeah. and this is this is my thing on it. And this is not uh, I'm not just picking at you, Pete here, because this—I I want this to be a learning. Actually, I, I want this to be, you know, a learning for people listening. If you do skip the college part and you go on the tour, the one thing that the tour did—and for you, eighteen to twenty-two—it was an amazing experience. But because you weren't probably quite ready for it, you drained finance,
2: yeah,
1: one, and you also, you also it wears on you. It wears on you. The travel wears on you. Yep. Whereas maybe going to college and coming out at 22, when you're ready to make quarterfinals, semifinals, finals, or futures, you've saved up that money, you know, from wh- yep. wherever you are, whichever place that it's coming. And also it's a little bit fresher because you, for you, it probably feels like you've been on tour forever, but you're, 20, yep. you're 24, you're a young pup, you know? Yep. And it's like, that's where that's where I think the U.S. college bit is so important. And I think that's where subtly I've always felt you not getting to U.S. college maybe maybe stopped you getting a little bit higher because I think I do genuinely believe your level could have got higher. And, yeah. and, and that's it's not the be all and end all of life, what, you, what your ranking is. Do you know what I mean? So we're, yeah. we're talking hypothetically and it's, it's not the be all and end of The most important thing, and as I've said to you, you're very happy. You're content. You know you've given your absolute all. You know you're in a great position. You're going to be an amazing coach. The next chapter is going to be great, and it's 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 all it's all fantastic. But I, but I just want to make the point on the U.S. college, and I don't know I don't know if you have any thoughts. Yeah, on that. I mean, like a
2: hundred percent agree for sure. You know, and, and I think you guys were spot on when I first went out there. I needed matches, and I needed to mature. You know. And and I look back now and, and unfortunately, like I touched on earlier, I used to keep things to myself. And obviously the academy was in its earlier stages back then. Yep. They didn't have the setup with school like they do now, which is class. So, you know, I was juggling training, whatever, 20 hours a week and just studying by myself for, for AS levels. And looking back now, I should have stopped and gone, OK, I actually need to go back to school for six months. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's where being, not speaking to anyone about it and being open about it hurt me. It hurt, it hurt my journey in tennis, you know. I've got no one else to blame but myself there. I needed to go back home and, and just keep my head down in the books for six months and then, and then get, that, get that scholarship because all my grades were fine until, my la, until one of my last exams and I just failed it because it, it all just got too much of me trying to travel for a few junior tournaments, train full time. So, you know, I, I look back on that and the environment in college as well with the team getting to travel, everything like that, you know, maturity wise. And, and I, you made a good point. It does feel like I've played on tour for a while. The Futures Tour is not, is not nice. You, you don't want to be stuck in it for six or seven years. And that's probably what has hurt me now.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, it's, uh, it's 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 phenomenal listening to you, and it's <clears throat> taking me back to my own playing days when I when I finished college and getting getting back out there. But for the listeners that are listening in here, Pete, we've a lot of parents that listen in, a lot of younger players that listen in, a lot of play- people that probably don't understand the tour as much. You know, you've gone on, like you said, you've been an Irish number one. You're an Irish Open champion. You've m- made you know several titles and um, won several titles but again just for the parents and people that are listening in here to have an insight and an understanding of what it takes to stay out on the tour I know when I was playing personally it cost anything up from 2,000 euros to go to a, to a tennis tournament now like you said you didn't have much support in terms of you know sponsorship federations etc putting that into you um, could you give us a little bit, more insight of what that kind of that cost w- would have been for you when you were out there on the tour? Yeah, I mean,
2: look, it just it depends roughly each week how far you're traveling. You know, first couple of years I played a lot in Spain, so it wasn't too difficult. Just get a long bus, get a train, so that cut cost down. And I, and actually playing in Spain and Portugal, you can fly, you can find cheap hostels. It's not too bad. It's just know if you're trying to play a full calendar and you're traveling to the states or asia you know then flights everything like that's going to be more expensive You know, i'd say it's probably 500 to a thousand euros a week more or less you know it depends if you you know and that's that's just by yourself if you want to bring a coach or you know share a coach you're still looking at maybe 250 euros on top of that everything and it so it just depends where you're staying if you know you can do an airbnb Share, a few, share with a few guys. Then it's cheaper that way. Cook for yourself. You're always trying to find little things. You know, I started traveling with a pro stringer for the last three years because yeah. it's like 10, 10 to twenty euros for a restring every at every tournament. So I mean, I need two rackets fresh for every match. You know, I'm not ha- unfortunately I'm not handing in six or seven bats to the stringer at yeah. the of the slam. So I'm I'm grinding on the two fresh. Uh, and, but that's it. But I'm cutting down more costs, so it's always it's always about finding ways to cut the costs. down.
0: So when you're winning a twenty-five thousand dollar event, you're not actually taking home twenty-five thousand dollars, right?
2: It's funny because when I did when I did win that twenty-five k in Dublin, my mum got a text, and the text said, "That's great, Peter's won twenty-five. That's brilliant. Yeah. Like, that's going to do so well for his tennis over the next couple of years."
1: <laughs> they robbed your house. And they robbed your house, thinking they'll get it. You
0: know? Yeah. No, no. I think I think it's just it's a good it's a good. Um, the reason I ask you that, um, Pete, is because I think it's important for people to understand when they say they want to go on the tour, yeah. what they're getting into. And I suppose one of the the big advocates that we've had here in Ireland is, or sorry, one of the big beliefs that we've had, knowing what it what 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 it takes when you when you actually do go out there. First of all, it, it is a very financially difficult you have to do all these things that you're talking about for travelling being on the road all the time you've got to take a lot of hits a lot of losses spend a lot of time on your own and not everybody has the money like you said to travel with uh, a professional coach all the time and 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 I just think the the fact that we're doing this podcast it's important for parents to to understand this and where we're coming from from the college route
2: yeah
0: that like dan in this day and age, it's a very, very important route for, for young kids coming up um, to be able to have that type of uh, background uh, to, to, behind education and then maybe after that, go out and, and, and go on the tour. But, you know, I think on that as well, you know, like you
2: touched on it there, times on tour are so lonely, like, like really, really lonely. There's nothing worse than losing first round in the tournament and just going back to your room. You're sharing with the guy from Russia who doesn't speak English you're just, the Wi-Fi doesn't work in your room, like, it's crap, you know? It really, like, yeah. it re- like, it really is c- compared to, like, being in a, on a team with six or seven other guys all going for the same goal, yeah. you know, which one would I want to go for? Like, you know, and then you're more mature coming out and playing matches when you're so much tight after. That's also what I think like the college system with the juice points, all that kind of stuff. You're going to be so much tight when you go out and just play regular matches. I, and that's what I see like the best guys in college played a couple of them when they come out they're just so good under pressure because they've just they've just learned from it they've learned from mistakes letting letting their team down whatever or, or winning those big moments and I think I think that helps them a lot you see a lot of the top college guys coming through and, e- and even not the top ones you know guys that are pretty solid in college come through and they're winning they're winning futures going deep in futures straight away because they know how to win matches
1: Good. What's, yeah. What's the, what's the benefit of having a, a traveling coach with you?
2: Well, it's, it's just that you can get the work done daily, you know, in, instead of going to a tournament thinking about all the practice I've done is for this tournament. You know, when you're at tournaments, your goal is to still get better. You know, you can, you, you probably get more work or better work done on those weeks than you do just at base, you know, cause you could be playing practice matches against better players, all this kind of stuff. And if you, and I think just a coach watching your matches, you know, you could play a match and you're trying to evaluate the match yourself and it's completely wrong. Just cause you've been in the situation, dealing with emotions, all that kind of stuff. You could be thinking that you've done this really well when actually you were playing the wrong tactic and it's just a lot easier, you know, if the match is recorded or the coach has done stats on the match, then you can just see that straight away. You know, and I think, I've always been one, like, when I've had a coach travel. I think, we, and we've touched on it before, like, I struggle playing when there's, like, no one there and no atmosphere. So even just having one person in your corner just to look at, shout at, like, get the pump out to, that That was really big for me. And I, I always struggled when I was out there by myself and I had no one to look at. You know, I, I find that really difficult.
1: And, and, and on that, Pete, is... Is there, in, in a general sense, really, is there the danger that players on the tour, they almost save their pennies up to have a coach going for the odd week, that when then the coach does go, they then apply too much pressure to themselves?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the last tournament I played, that's exactly what happened. Because the the week before you know, the, the the streak ended and I had, Mike was there, the head of strength and conditioning. So like, he doesn't really know tennis, but he's just in my corner and he, he you've told him a couple of things to say, whatever. But then obviously Nige came the week after and I was so determined to show the corner I'd turned, how well I was playing, what I was doing on the court, because I just won first round again, beating a good Spanish guy. And, and I was like, and I put so much pressure on myself, saying, "This is it. He's gonna. I'm gonna put on a good match." And then I played awful, like, like absolutely awful. I just didn't turn up because I I didn't allow myself to compete. I was so caught up in my emotions of wanting to play well instead of just allowing myself to play well.
1: No, very good. It's very it's a very wise thing you're saying there, and and wise reflection that I think a lot of players can learn from, because I. I I want to just say one quick thing and then I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on maybe a couple more of those variables. It's, it's not realistic for many people to have a coach with them every single week. It just isn't, it's not, it's not realistic. So then what we then find is we find that players, coaches also are magic. You know, a coach can turn up for a week and the coach doesn't have magic, but in this sport we know that it's a day in day out day in day out sport that's that's the that's the nature of the sport so my question is is it possible in our sport to break through into if we talk about breaking even making money top 200 grand slams is it possible to do that without a traveling a consistent traveling coach do you think i think it i think it's difficult
2: but like I really do think it's difficult. I think if you're, I think you have to be a pretty special human being to be able to apply yourself by on your own day in day out and, and having and being able to focus on the process all the time. To be honest, I think when you get to a certain level, you need, you need to have a coach there. And I think having a coach there can, can speed up the process as well. I, I, think, I, I think you can, but I think it's really, really tough. you
1: yeah. know. But then, yeah. it's not, but then my next kind of point on that, which is also, I guess, I, I promise we're going to get into some more positive stuff. I, I think I don't want to just go down this kind of negative road, but I, I think they're, they're such real messages. And I think and because I know that you're in, in a good mindset and I know it's early reflection, but I know you're in a good place. I think you sharing these are invaluable to people listening. Yeah. And, and, and because one of the other challenges then is, I think some players then just, or parents think, well, I'll just take any coach with me. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's the thing. It's, it's a coach who you're connected with, a coach who's on the same wavelength as you, Uh, In terms of your game identity, a coach who you know understands how you work, you know, and that there's not many of them that you've probably built that relationship up with, you know, and then being able to afford that or do that, or for the coach to be able to do, you know, do it in a way that it it doesn't cost so much. So I guess what I'm getting at is there's the stresses. I want to just go through the stresses, the real stresses. That you guys have on the tour on the futures tour, you know yeah. and, and obviously we've, we've talked about financial stress we've talked about then I guess pressure of, of being on your own and the stress and the loneliness and the, and the difficulty of that. we've talked about the coach you know you do get your pennies together to get a coach with you and then maybe you feel, well this is my week I've got to really do it this week. What other stresses and difficulties? are 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 real that we need to bring into the forefront for people to start really understanding about our sport because there is conversations that need to happen i believe that, that need to stop and change the way that our sport runs
2: i mean i think just looking after yourself mentally is so important you know you're out there by yourself four or five weeks in the middle of nowhere like it is just really really difficult you know you're making a lot of sacrifices you're putting so much pressure on yourself to go out and perform you know some guys it might be they need to make quarterfinals this week or they can't afford the hotel yep you know you're always in with pressures and and it's so i think it's so hard sometimes to play without thinking about these you know you know for sure a lot of guys are being held back because they they feel the pressure that they have to win this match to to pay for their ticket to get to the next tournament. Oh. Yeah, you know, I just it it just is really really difficult. I think being out there by yourself, it's just so demanding. It asks a lot of you about yourself and you have to be a really really strong character. Like it is it it's like survival of the fittest is not for it is not for weak-minded people at all, really. You know, they get they get found out, I think.
1: Do you think you experienced any mental health difficulties over the years?
2: well yeah like when i when I went on that on that bad run, you know we've talked about it before. I went to the states with a coach that you know I thought was going to help me which which didn't happen. We didn't get on, and two weeks in, I felt like I was managing his life because there was so much crap going on there, it was affecting me on the course and and again I, I was just stubborn. I thought that I was going to be strong enough to get through this by myself and and like four weeks in, my mom called me saying, "What is wrong with you?" Because she like, and I didn't say anything, but she just knew that I wasn't the same person. So I was just dealing with all these pressures, and it, and it just built up. Like we didn't have a good connection. We were arguing on the court, so all this adds up, and and that's what then put me on that on that bad path. To, even when I came back, and and you said it as well, as I was just a different person on a on a match court. You know, as soon as I went down, that was it. I just couldn't. I had no, I had no fight in me, and I, and I definitely, and I definitely went through a really, really difficult time. Like I can't tell anyone how tough it is losing fifteen matches in a row.
0: Yeah.
2: Like I, it's just, it's, it's horrible, especially going onto the doubles court and kind of being a different person and winning doubles matches because I was so determined not to let my partner down. So, but then it felt like I was letting myself down, which made me, which made me more upset. You know, like broke down a couple of times i broke down in mallorca at the start of the year with you after yeah. i lost in qualies again i had to go out and play doubles final later that day yeah. I was playing with johnny gray but like in my mind there was abs- like absolutely i wanted to smash all my rackets yeah. and the only reason it didn't happen was because i wasn't going to let him down for doubles later that day and yeah. um, so so yeah like we 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 talked about it and i and i asked you i said because because you I wasn't as chatty as I normally am, get like throwing banter around, just having a bit of crack with the boys. Back in the apartment, I was just quiet, even had my hood up in the living room. You know, and I asked you, I said, like, I, I genuinely feel like I might be depressed. You know, I, I didn't know the feeling, but I had to ask you and then, and then that's where it came about then, using a life coach, being more open, talking to someone. And that's the best thing I've ever done.
0: Yeah. You
2: know, I feel so open now so honest talking about things and just my everyday routines now you know writing in my diary every morning what i'm grateful for the awareness of my feelings in the morning as i wake up and then with the meditation i'm like it's it's crazy how much it's helped me you know
0: what, what, Dan, sorry man what a, what a warrior man what a warrior you are uh, i have to say that man it's just inspiring listening to you man you know, not to, it's not all about the winning. It's about how many cuts, how many hits that you can take and keep getting back up. I mean, that's unbelievable. For all the kids listening in on that, they look at you from the outset, man, and they think that, you know, you don't hurt, that you don't take any hits. Yeah, you know, yeah. unbelievable, man. And I saw you the other day on the court, and it was like we were back on court when you were a kid.
2: Yeah, you
0: yeah. were of energy about, around, around everybody. Everybody loves being around you unbelievable and listening to you talk about that so openly what a warrior man
2: yeah i, I mean say, what a warrior. i remember, I you remember talking to stevie Nuge about it, and one thing i always you know i always respect anyone that's worked with me and and put me on a good path. so i'm still really close with steve now and mick and, and i met him for lunch and i was like man i just i don't know what's wrong like i just i'm training so hard i'm probably training too hard that it's affecting me and i just go on the court and i just I can't do anything like nothing works you know and he he uh, he told me he was like just wait in two weeks time you're gonna win seven six in the third and, it, and it's gonna happen and it's gonna be over like that and and what happened like two weeks later second tournament in portugal 5-1 down the tie break with all with all this new like meditation visualization Boom! One, one seven, five, reeled off six points in a row, and he called me after, and he just said, "I told you, that's it," and and hung up the phone. You know, because he knew he didn't want to say anymore, because I was back, I was out there battling again tomorrow, and and that was it. You know, I was I was back doing the daily job. I think it just it got to a stage where my tennis was affecting me. You know, it was affecting me as a as a person. You know, I wasn't I wasn't being Pete Ball well I was he was off somewhere else for for two or three months you know and it was it was really tough to take when I when I went and I had to open up about it like it was really tough but you know getting getting over that stage and what I've learned now and what hopefully I'll pass on to to other players and parents and and anyone listening you know I feel really proud of that and I feel like I can really help that way
1: no absolutely Pete, and I think I think again for people listening as well it's like what a lot of people don't understand about tennis is how easy that happens. You know, I mean, you are you are a class act as a, as a person, a class act as a as a tennis player. And I know when I sat there and I analyzed those fifteen matches, there was there was a match where before you went off to America, you went to America, which was a difficult trip for you. So there were some difficulties that happened. So that was that takes you up to eight. Yeah. You then. You then turned up not quite ready, maybe for a tournament that takes you to nine. But genuinely, the next six matches, you played some great tennis. Or next yes. Five of the six, the si- yeah. five of the six, you know, you played some great tennis and you know, put yourself away in winning positions and didn't quite get over the line. You know, against players, former top hundred players, against players three hundred in the world, and this is this is the reality of our sport. And it's like, in terms of the character that you've always shown you know and in terms of the life skills because ultimately the number next to our name is irrelevant it's irrelevant it feels it feels and this is to tennis players listening to coaches working with players it feels like it defines you but it does not define you you know what 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 you guys are listening to here with what the way pete's talking about this the way he's reflected i've been very close to it the way you've turned everything around and you are going to have an unbelievably successful career life in whatever you do because of those amazing character traits that you have. And I, and I think it's a really important one for, for everyone to learn. When I, when I was on
2: that streak as well, and I, and I put in a few good performances and, and got into winning positions, because I, because I felt like I was training so hard, I, I felt like I deserved it. When looking back now, you don't deserve anything, you know? I, I, I'm working this hard. But there's someone out there that's got less opportunities than me and has, has got less and they're working twice as hard as me, you know? Like, it's just – and I think, and I think, you know, some players do get entitled and, and they feel like, well, they're working pretty hard, so they should win. Yeah. Nothing. Like, you got to go out there and, and earn it on the day. If you, if you don't put it down on, on that day, you can lose to anyone. Like, absolutely, the way our sport works. It's, it's, not, it's not straightforward at
1: all. Oh, really good point, Pete. So, so your positive experiences. Um, Hopefully, there's, there's a few more. No, there there, there is, and there's and theres there has been lots. And I and I'm also. This is a big thing that I say it. And I, I, you you've heard all of my stuff, Pete. I've got nothing more. Got nothing more to give. So you you've heard it all. But this is also one of the things of tennis. I think the difficult experiences tend to be much higher than the than the good experiences. And 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 it's so important. And whenever anyone does anything, I always email the parents and I email ex-coaches and tell them raise a glass of wine tonight because we have to cherish and we have to we have to celebrate achievement because it doesn't come along that much in our sport. But what what are standouts for you in terms of your experiences in this sport?
2: Yeah, just I mean the main one for me, obviously, like I touched on, was putting on that green jersey. You yeah. know, what I mean that that was like the be all and end all you know if i if i could just do that once yeah. and that was all i could achieve in tennis i was go- i was going to be fine with that yeah. you know so, and then and then being on top of that leading like leading the lineup in grade 2 you know playing like fred nielsen kasperru all these kind of guys class you, you know like i would never have thought i'd ha- i'd have those experiences at 16 17 playing like Rush a grade five ITF on a wet well, artificial grass court, like yeah. no one. You ask anyone in that tournament, they'd be like, "Yeah, good, good joke," you know. And then so that, but then individually, I mean, it's got to be winning the Irish Open. Yeah. You know, it was. I obviously made final a couple of years before in Spain, where I was playing class, and I played class in the final, but just came up against the Spanish guy that got to yeah. like 150, 160. is very very solid, and and yeah, but. Yeah, I mean just, just winning the Irish Open, winning the twenty five K in in Dublin, like full crowd. Amazing. No, nothing sweeter, I don't think. You know, it still still gives me goosebumps sometimes today thinking about it.
1: No, absolutely. And and I, I have to say one of one of my also greatest moments is also pulling on the, the green, the Irish jersey. You know, yeah. that was like it was it was like being being there with you in Norway. You know, and having the the privilege of being in that locker room, of being on that bench. You know, I am a Keenan, You know, and I, yes, I'm proud to be English, but I am also very, very proud of my Irish roots. You know, my dad would support Ireland over England. You know, in in rugby. You know, be, that's very much how I've been brought up. And and I think there's something really special you guys have. I really do. I think I think the the, the Irish the the pride of the irish and the, and the the feeling of it and it was it like i get goosebumps now thinking of it it's what it's you know pulling that jersey on for me and, and sitting there at the side of that court and seeing your performances throughout that weekend and just oh my god the excitement of it you know and i think i think you as a nation and, and you two obviously two two of my closest people in my world you know irish tennis have got both of you you know and i think there's a, there's a lot of great people in ireland we've had a lot of we've had a lot of guests now irish guests as well and 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 nothing would give me you know greater pleasure than to see you know you guys really turn an irish tennis around because that 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 is strong that that the color green is strong you know and, and not many not many nations have that to the same degree that you guys do yeah i mean you definitely
2: I definitely felt that the first time I made the team as a rookie and it was actually class. I had Jimmy Delgado as the assistant back then. So the whole week it, the whole week actually was class learning from him. He's always you know him well. But you know, being in that locker room, like I thought I knew nerves. Yeah. I can't like, uh, like unbelievable. Like I was like getting so pumped on the side, like I put my foot through like the advertising board. Cause like I was just getting like really more pumped, than like Sam Barry was getting on the court, you know. And it's just like from then, like it's actually a killer, like that we didn't get to play a home tie. I think I would have been actually too buzzing that I, I probably couldn't hold the racket. But but yeah, like just that. I, I think like when when we're in that locker room, like we all would die out on that court before we walk off. You know, if it takes four and a half hours and we're bleeding out there. We're happy to do it. And I think, I, I think that's just like such a class feeling with just such such a bond when it comes to Davis Cup and that that group and that environment and culture we have in that locker room. Like, it's just
0: world-class. I love it. And, and Pete, do you think you, you'll, you'll keep playing tennis? I know you, you're, you're done with the tour, but you, will yeah. you keep playing yourself? or? Yeah, you
2: like absolutely. I mean, I've, I've spoken to Connor on it and he he has... He has asked me, you know, if if the opportunity is still there, will I be involved in the US Cup? I said, come on, don't be silly. I, if the yeah. opportunity is there, uh, yeah, of course I am. Of course I'm going to represent my country, you know. And I think I still, I'd still like to play some some local tournaments as well because I think it's good for me to get out there and and play against other players and juniors coming up to to see what they're about, see what they've got, and and even even for them to see, you know what I'm bringing to the court and I think even as well something as simple as some players just just watching me you know there's yeah. it, it's easy me telling some players you know this is how you need to behave this is what your energy needs to be like all these kind of things but just saying like okay look I'm gonna play that I'm gonna play the Irish clues as well you play your match and I'm gonna watch this and then and then you have to watch me after yeah. and, and, you know they can they can maybe learn just as much in that environment than, than just being on the practice court
0: together. You know, they, might, they, they might even get a, um, a full view of you mauling me on court. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm taking that forehand battle cross court all day.
1: <laughs> so, so, Pete, what happens two years' time, you're 26 years old, you played Davis Cup, you beat a couple of guys top 500, because you finally chilled out yeah okay you, you you take a few grand home winning you know take him down whoever the next Irish guy is the ego starts to flow a little bit is the door open to ever coming back to play I
2: mean I don't I don't know what a tough question <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I just can't I just can't answer that like if I, um, uh, if I if I play if I'm playing Davis Cup and I take someone I top 200 like I mean I mean it's it's possible I don't know I don't know I can I just can't answer that you I don't, don't, don't want to think about it you're
1: not going to <laughs> you're not going to do a Steve Redgrave on us he won his, he won, I think it was his fourth Olympics and his first thing he said when he when he finished the race he said if anyone sees me near a boat again shoot me <laughs> Four years later, everybody's
2: fifth gold. I mean, I think it's tough because I'm, I mean, I'm still going to be involved in the sport. I'm not leaving the sport. I don't want to leave the sport. Tennis is, tennis is what I'm about. I mean, I, it's tough to say in two years' time if I'm playing really, really well. Like, maybe. Who knows? You know, I just... You've got, you got to be in the present moment. And, and that's it. I'm just going to take every day, every day as it goes. You know, I've learned a few things from you over the years, so he's not good, getting ahead he's, myself.
1: He's good, and I, I can't have you on the podcast without asking you what Soto tennis means to you. Just one word, family.
2: That's it. You know, I just like I've said to you, it. it you were more than more than just a tennis coach to me. You, you were a second father figure of me. You know, runes bringing me out back in the day. You know he he really I, I owe a lot to him. he He toughened me up massively. Yeah. You know, we talk about like weak mentality and stuff, like the amount of running I did around the tennis club because I couldn't make like 30 balls in a row is ridiculous. Like, honestly, the amount of times the guy beat me in Friday match play absolutely abusing me was incredible. <laughs> but like but that built, that built me up to who I am today, you know like getting duffed by some guy who can't crack an egg on his forehand you know that 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 made me he made me mentally tough i owe so much to him and then just just everything everything with the academy you know such a close-knit family you know what i love as well you know when someone has success everyone feels it everyone's living that you know i I could be on court with yourself nige whoever but it's, we're all going for the same journey, and I, I think you do an unbelievable job. Of tennis is obviously an individual sport, but as a collective and together, you can all push each other. And I think it's one thing that is massively lacking back here. So individualized, you know, like trying to get two guys to practice together at the moment is is so I can't believe how difficult it is. You know, I don't I don't understand. Like, you know, they just want individual work, and it, like what i find finding out, you know, it's so tough to be trying to play, give them, like, hit a good ball to them. You're trying to see what they're doing, making sure they're doing the drill well, instead of just being at the back of the court with another guy and they're doing it together. And then, you know, both working together good. like And that, that's just the culture right there. I, it just baffles me. and It's something that the academy, when I think about it, and I think a lot of what, I'm, what I bring forward today and speak about today with the, the values of the academy is, is what I live off. You know, it, it's the academy has, has made me the person I am today. So, you know, I can, I'm just can't can never say thank you enough if that makes sense.
1: No, it's, not, well, it's nice to hear, but you also don't need to because you you more than gave enough back to us, and and you know that's, that as we have talked about the these relationships, they work when there's a connection, and they work when there's mutual benefit, and yeah. and people. You know, and I think it's a big one for our game that mutual benefit doesn't have to come in the form of finance. You know, it it comes... Value is not just finance, you know. And, you know, what you have brought to Soto Tennis Academy over the last eight years, we could never bring in 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 monetary terms, you know, in in terms of being, you know, the leader, you know, the cultural leader in terms of everything that you've done. You'll be a massive miss. We'll, We'll miss and I'm pleased that I had a chance to do it just before lockdown is, is watching your live score and, and how many seven, six and the thirds you've had um, <laughs> and having pretty much the whole Academy round the phone, you yeah. know, or, or calling in if the coach is there or if I'm there and timing in so everybody can watch the last few points, you know, and that's, that, those are the sort of things that, you know, money money can't buy, and that that's something that I know that we'll massively massively miss. I wish you'd won a few more two and twos, but I did I did enjoy those six and the thirds. Um, to, for you to then come on the podcast today, mate, I know that it is relatively raw still. And uh, my 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 thought process behind this was I wanted to speak to you while it was because I know. And I knew that you would, you would have so many learnings for people. And that's, you know, as me and John have talked about for the last last three months, this has been about energizing people. It's been about educating people and entertaining people. And, and as far as an educational piece goes, you've been an absolute star tonight, mate. So, so everyone will benefit massively from hearing, hearing it. So thank you very much.
2: Yeah, I think even on that as well, I can't actually believe I left it out I think the most important thing, and, and, it's, and it's what I'm taking forward into coaching, you, your first goal was to make me a better person. Yeah. You know? Everyone just gets carried away. They want their players to do well and win matches. Like, you know, At the end of the day, need, tennis is only a small part of your life, your career. And, and I think you did an unbelievable job of getting that over to me and, and everyone into the academy. You know, you're coaching a person to set them up for life, first of all. You know, and I think that that gets missed by quite a few coaches now. I think some coaches now feel they're more important than the player sometimes. So I think just, you know, people have got to be careful as well. That, and, and I think that's where connection is so important.
1: Yeah. No, and, I, and it's nice to hear. And I think I just want to add into that as well for people listening. It doesn't mean you don't want to win. I think sometimes people. People think that, you know, trying to develop a better person can be a bit fluffy and it's, well, I'm not here to become a better person, I'm here to win. Well, actually, guess what? Become a better person, it gives you more chance of winning as well. You know, and, you know, having a better connection and being able to connect with your coaches, connect with your fitness coaches, connect with your practice partners. Guess what? If you're a good person, they'll work harder for you. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll be on the phone, they'll be watching you at two o'clock in the morning. You know, so, so parents, players, get that bit right. You know, coaches get that bit right as well, because it all leads into, of course, trying to win more on the court, but then win more in life over, over the next 50, 60 years.
2: Yeah, agreeing as well. And I think, I think in Sado as well, you know, the coaches set, set the environment but it was up to us to, to, to lead that, you know? And, and and I, and I know so many sessions when if someone, if we're in a group and, you know, if me and Ev are in and we're in a group environment and and people aren't giving it, you know, we know that you trust us, that, that we can, we can have a go at them, you know, or you, you ask us, how was this player today? And it's like, they didn't bring it. So, so, so they, they don't deserve that opportunity. And I, and there's, you know, Like, everyone assumes that when I went to Soto that I was just training with world-class players and trained with girls for, like, I don't know, three and a half, four of the years, you know? like And and for probably about a year within that as well before Ev then came out after Lloyd left, I was just training with Simon and and guys that were just going off to college, you know? So I think there's, like, people are obsessed with playing against – better players all the time. You know, I you, you do need that obviously and it's really good to play matches against those kind of players that are a level above you, but you no, know, you can train you can train with anyone and get the work done. It's just it's just a per, per excuse.
0: Absolutely, absolutely and I think you've always been you've always been self-driven, Pete, and I think really really good good players are self-driven. You know, they'll always find a way to manipulate the practice court. They'll always find a way to create energy. They'll always create, a, you know, a good environment. That's what I've always found with good tennis players. And I think it's it's an absolute must if you have any chance of uh, going out and having a knock-on tour. Yeah. So... Fair play to you saying that, and I have yeah. to reiterate what you say because that's a, there is a big culture of that, particularly here in Ireland, of everybody looking to play with better players all the time. I don't know what it's like in Spain, Dan, or you know other countries feel like don't work over there, but I just know that a lot of players are always constantly looking to play with better players. But um, what you just said there is, I think, massive. It has to be self-driven and, and from inside. Yeah, but people forget, like, you know, if, you're, if, if you think you're
2: better than the person down the other end, well, that could have been you six, not six, nine months ago, like, you know? I think people quickly forget where, where they came from and, and, the, and the effect that can have on, on training with other, with other partners, you know?
1: Yes. I, it's, I it's it's global. I mean, we've fallen into another, another topic, which is great, because I think it's a good educational topic as well. It, it's a global issue it is a global issue and it's a, it's a global challenge for our sport. And, and and I think the, the thought process for me is there's lots of defining variables in, in our development, you know, as, as tennis players, however, there's no more defining variable than you, yourself. And 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 that's that's the bit for me, you know. If if Pete, if you you never complained once for in, in eight years, you didn't complain once about who you hit with. If you had at times, I would have listened, and we and we had conversations about it, you know, not complaints, but we had we had our natural conversations about it because you were doing everything you could do, you know. And and, and I think unless you're doing everything you can do, you don't have the right to ever ever have that conversation or to ever. And there's too many people out there that are, that are, that are picking up on a a variable that isn't the most important. That isn't the biggest mover of their tennis, you know, their, their attitude, all those things. And that's where the name of the podcast comes from. the controllables, you know, all of those controllables that are, that are linked into you. They are the defining piece. They are going to decide, you know, no one's not become a tennis player because of who they've hit with. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I genuinely believe that. I'm, I also believe no one's not become a tennis player because they've had the wrong coach to a degree, you know, yeah. it, it, it's, 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 it's over to, over to you. You've gone out there and you, you've achieved what you've achieved. And and I think it's a really nice message to finish the podcast on. Um, and like I said, Peter, uh, on, uh, in regards to the podcast, a massive, massive thank you. But I'd also like to say on the podcast a big, heartfelt thank you for myself and everybody at Soto Tennis for for everything that you've you've given. You know, you you did you become a world class tennis player? Not quite, but you you give world class effort. You give world class focus. You give world class dedication every single day. You know, and, and because of that, you're a world class person. Who, who was a who was a fantastic, fantastic tennis player, and you're going to go on and do brilliant things. So, a big thank you and lots of subtle love from us all.
0: Appreciate, it. thanks. And, and, a, and a I and I have to say a big, big thank you from everybody in Ireland, for for everything that you've done for Irish tennis so far. And like Dan's already said, it's going to be uh, it's going to be great to have you into the coaching world. And I'm looking forward to being on court with you and uh, for you to be able to help the next generation of players coming up here in Ireland. Massive thank you for coming on to our podcast,
1: Pete.
2: Appreciate it. Really Really enjoyed the chat, boys. Thanks and, a million for having and me.
1: You, and Pete, when you have that winning Davis Cup, mate, there's a space at the academy for you in a couple of years. So look <laughs> <to it. laughs> See you later, guys. Uh, Thanks a lot, Pete, for for that. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, certainly lots to take from it. That's without a doubt. And, and we wish Pete the very best of luck in, in the next chapter of his life. Um, I'm sure here at Sotterl Tennis and, and with John in, in Ireland, he'll still be a big part of, of what we do uh, in lots of different ways. Um, a big thank you for all of your support, um, it is my plea as always if, you, if you're still listening at this point of the podcast um, to like, to share, to rate and review on iTunes, it helps get these messages out far and wide and, which, is, which is what we want from these podcasts. Um, People seem to be thoroughly enjoying them and we are loving bringing them together for you. So thank you for your support. Have a wonderful day wherever you are. And till next time, I'm Dan Kiernan, my co-host, John McGann. We are Control the Controllables.